Today is Mother's Day, and let's uh, thank God for our mothers and also pray for some other people, okay? Lord, thank you for Mother's Day, and it's a chance to, to honor uh, women who have, in many, many cases, been selfless beyond words. So we thank you. Thank you for the heritage that many of us have received from godly mothers. We thank you. And at the same time as we rejoice in Mother's Day, Lord, we know there are people walking among us, and some of them have not verbalized, but they are desperately trying to have a child and cannot. Or they want another child. And Lord, we, we ask that in your kind mercy, you would... Allow these people to next year's on Mother's Day 2014 hold a child in their arms. We pray that we would see generations of righteous people produce in this place, that we would have a generational view toward ministry. So bless these dear people, God, I pray. And we pray for parents, especially parents uh, who have uh, buried a child. And uh, it's just unthinkable to me. And we ask you to comfort them on this Mother's Day. There'll, there'll be an emptiness in their lives, especially today. Especially we pray for those who this is maybe their first Mother's Day. And I, I know of people in our church that are walking this path. God, give them grace and peace and strength. Shepherding Christ, shepherd us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying this issue of, of God's good design and how God has made us male and female, how God is a speaking God. And this God has spoken and given us scripture, a pattern, a, a blueprint, and he has revealed himself fully and ultimately in the person of Christ. We saw last week how the first man and woman had paradise. They had unbroken fellowship with God. They had unhindered communication between the two of them. Sin had not entered the human race, and then sin entered the human race. And the catastrophic consequences that have been passed down from generation to generation. And God says there'll be labor in childbirth. There will be thorns and thistles when you harvest your crops. And he said to the serpent who had deceived Eve, he said, you know, you will, there'll be enmity between you, your offspring and her offspring, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. The first gospel promise, what Christ would do on the cross. And then a few verses later, chapter 3, verse 21, Adam and Eve had made fig leaves to cover their shame. And the Lord God says, in essence, uh, fig leaves will not do. And so he took animals and he sacrificed animals and he made a covering of skin for them, sig for signifying the coming of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Seen in the promise given to Abraham, seen in the Mosaic Covenant and the temple sacrificial system, all foreshadowing or for signifying the reality of the Christ who by his one act upon the cross would take away the sin of the world. And so as he did this clothing of animal skins, and as he spoke to Abraham, and as he gave us the Mosaic covenant, there was an anticipation in the hearts of God's people, when will Messiah King come? And when John the Baptist saw the Lord Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And a Pharisee named Saul was going to end up persecuting the church and heartily approving of the, the murder of Christians. And that man was converted. And then that man, a few years later, wrote the book of Romans. And he said, the anticipation of my soul has been met in Christ. This is what he says in Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all believe. There is no distinction for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as our propitiation, our covering. He did on the cross what I can never do for myself. And so God says throughout the ages, fig leaves will not do. I will provide a lamb, and this lamb will take away the sin of the world, and that is fulfilled in Christ. And so we, we have this little paradigm we look at regarding being a believer, and it goes like this, creation fall, redemption through Christ, and restoration. In Christ, the joy of Eden can be restored to a large degree. There is a restoration project that is going on right now in the lives of men and women who name the name of Christ, who glory in the goodness of Christ who understand this God is God, and he is a speaking God. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and as it's a heart and a head synergism, there is a restoring project going on in us right now. In chapter 1 of Colossians, and I'm just going to give, it, give you a 20,000 view of this passage. It's one of the most glorious passages in the New Testament. But chapter 1, verse 9 says, We've not stopped praying for you that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowledge, 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 servant knowledge, heart, mind, knowledge, but knowledge. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, if I want God's restorative work in me, I need to grow in the knowledge of God. As the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and makes application to my life as I glory in the greatness of Christ. So I want to talk about this restorative pro process that, that brings God's good design into our lives continuously. How, how do we have this restorative project from this speaking God who has spoken with finality through Jesus Christ? Five points. Number one, the restorative project happens as we, verse 13 Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I experience the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I can experience ongoing restoration as I continually give thanks to the Father and make much of the glory and majesty of the cross. As my thoughts turn to him, as I rejoice in him. In Colossians 2, Paul says, don't, don't be bamboozled by the systems of this world. 
Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to the elementary spirits of this world. And, and then he, he says, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. And he says, verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but, but God made you alive. Echoing chapter 1. You've been qualified. God made you alive. You were dead. God spoke life to your heart. God breathed into your spirit. God made you alive. With Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The cross is enough. The cross did it all. And then he says this in verse 15. Having disarmed the rulers and authorities, the demonic powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The restorative energy of God flows into me as I continually glory in the forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus. And he says this. He says, you've been... You've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred. And that word is a word used for deporting people to make a new colony. You've not only been de delivered from the domain of darkness, but, but transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, this week, on May the 8th, we celebrated historically VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, 1945. 1945, May 8th, the Nazis surrendered. And the horror of World War II in Europe came to a close. And there was celebration in the streets. A couple years ago, though, I read a book about the aftermath of World War II by a historian. It was an incredibly insightful and long book. But he talked about how in the aftermath of World War II, there were millions and millions and millions of people displaced. They had no home. Cities were rubble. That the economy was nothing. That, that, that starvation was imminent. That, you know, you think about, yeah, we won the war. So, no, then the hard work began in many cases. He talked about how the Marshall Plan, the United States built Europe again. And how Europe was restored and how people were settled in cities and cities were built. And how, how a few people had the opportunity and the privilege of immigrating to the United States to a country that had not been destroyed by the war. To cities that were not in rubble. To an economy that was not in disrepair. See, now, as I say this, I thought that, that's the picture. See, not only are we delivered from the domain of darkness... That's plenty, but we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Not only is the war over, VE Day, the forces of darkness have been defeated on the cross, but we're put on a carrier ship and brought to a city in the United States where there are jobs awaiting and an economic engine that's, that's going strong. See, delivered and transferred. My, my question is, are you glorying in the greatness of the cross? Not just your deliverance, but what God is presently doing in your life. If, if, I'm, if I'm going to experience the restorative energy of Jesus in my life, 
and, and, and see his power. I must be someone who gives thanks to the Father who's qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The one who has destroyed the dominion of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Do, do you give thanks for that? Does your mind turn to that? The second way we experience the restorative power of God is we have a war cry. We have a war cry. And the war cry is verses 15 through 17. And it is glorious. Paul writes this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which means he has preeminence. He's eternally the creator. He has preeminence, or he is the trailblazer. He's the firstborn over all creation. For all things were made, were created by him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I, I just love He is the image of the invisible God. The ultimate revelation of the triune God is Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Our, our, our war cry is this, Lord Christ, all things were made through you and for you, and you are before all things, and in you all things hold together. That's our war cry. My life, Lord Christ, do your restoring work by your Holy Spirit. My, I was made through you and for you. And you are before all creation, and in you I hold together. As you have a small child, and just, you, you kneel down at night, and you put your hand on their body, or they're small, and you make the sign of the cross, whatever, and you say, Lord Jesus, this child was made through you and for you. And you are before all creation, and in you this child holds together. I commit them to you. I commit him to you. I commit her to you. And they, when they get older, you don't want to wake them up. You want to wake a dragon up at night sometimes. You stand outside and you put the sign of the cross on their door and you say, Lord Jesus, my teenager was made through you and for you. And they are before you and in you they hold together. I commit him or her to you. And you pray for them as they leave the house. And you grab their hand and you pray for them when they go to college. You pray for them every night when you have supper. And you say, that's your, our war cry. There, we are made through you and for you. And you are before all creation. And in you, Lord Christ, all things hold together. You do that. That's your war cry. You take your marriage. You, you say, you take your spouse's hand and say, Lord Christ, you know, this marriage was made through you and for you, and you are before us, and in you all things hold together. You are the Christ. Marriages have ups and downs, but we're yours. We belong to you. Sometimes you're disappointed. The other night, <laughs> I was going to... Uh, 
Fr- we have Friday night going to a birthday party for a much older friend. And uh, I just looked at my wife, and I just, really, she's a wonderful woman. And I said, I said to her, I said, Sarah, I said, you have no idea how much joy it is to be married to you. And she smiled, and she said, yes, and I can tell you this, much more joyful to be married to me than be married to you. She says, oh, oh, I, I kind of got that backwards. I didn't mean to say that. I said, well, <laughs> truth hurts sometimes, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Did that really happened. I mean, <laughs> listen, all things are created. Listen, say, say Lord, Lord Christ, in the hurt of this moment, in the difficult time of raising an adult child, I say again, all things were made through you and for you and you before all things and in you all things hold together. You're the image of the invisible God. You're the firstborn over all creation. You're God. That's our war cry. That's our war cry. And and if you you pray that as an individual in your life and as, as a family, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. So, so I was just listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 following. Paul says, for, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Listen, once again. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why It is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. Paul says all the promises of the scripture find their their fulfillment in the person of Christ. He is God's revelation to us. He is the fulfillment of the ages. I was reading that, I thought, you know, Paul never said that dispassionately. Oh, yeah, all the promises of God are met in Jesus. Yeah. No. All the promises of the Bible, of God's Word, are met in the person and work of Jesus. All things were made through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Therefore, number three, if I'm to experience His restorative work in me, I will glory in what God has done. I will fight for joy. I will fight for a mind that sees the universe gloriously as something that was created by Jesus. I'm reading this book on Martin Luther, and near the end of the book, really, the writer Heike Oberman says this. I just thought it was so good. He says, well, joy of life is not something that simply exists. It must be worked at. 
Joy needs practice. Amen. I need to think properly and meditate on the right things because joy needs practice. It's got to be fought for. You don't fall into joy. Joy is the pursuit that you have as you glory in, in Jesus. One day Martin Luther, who died in 1546, was going out. He loved roses. So he said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look at my rose garden to baffle the devil. I thought, I like that. I'm a pedestrian in this stuff. I, I don't have an eye for beauty. I pray God, give me an eye for beauty. I don't see it. Unless it's March Madness or football, I can see that. But I mean, give, give me an eye for beauty. I think, here's, here's, old, here's Luther sitting on a bench looking at a rose, saying, devil, be gone. You're the destroyer. You turn everything upside down. But look at this rose that came from the hand of a great God. A creative God whose name is Jesus. I'm going to do this to spite the devil. I was studying, thinking about that. So, God, the other day, went down to the lunchroom, Palmetto Christian Academy, our school, first graders sitting there. Sat in the middle of them. Sweet kids. Snaggletooth. Started talking to them. And just listened to their laughter and said, I'm spiting the devil. Devil spite you. You hate life, this is life. You hate people who hear about Jesus, they're hearing about Jesus. You hate laughter, they're laughing. Not at others' expense, just because of joy. Ask one little girl, do you sing? No, no. Does your daddy sing? No, no. Does your mommy sing? No. Little girl calls, I play the guitar and I sing very well. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun. I sat there and just, you know, went outside and sat next to the eighth graders. They wouldn't give me eye contact. <laughs> what is that guy doing sitting anywhere? So, so this, this, this really... This, this is something I read years ago. There's it comes from the preface of a book called, uh, called Witness by a man named Whitaker Chambers, who was trained to be a communist. He, had, he was part of the Alger Hiss umbrella that had infiltrated the State Department. Um, but he, he turned witness against the communist movement right as he was getting ready to have a pretty high-level position. But, but he wrote this book, and the preface of the book is just a precious statement. He's sitting at an apartment in Baltimore, Maryland, and he has a two-year-old daughter. Let me just read what he says. It was shortly before we moved to Alger Hiss's apartment in Washington. My daughter was in her high chair. I was watching her eat. She was the most miraculous thing that I had ever, ever, ever happened in my life. I like to watch her even when she smeared porridge on her face or dropped it meditatively on the floor. My eye came to rest on the delicate convolutions of her ear, those intricate, perfect ears. The thought passed through my mind. No, those ears were not created by any chance coming together of atoms in nature, which was the communist worldview. They could have been created only by immense design. 
The thought was involuntarily taken and it was unwanted. I crowded it out of my mind, but I never wholly forgot it or the occasion. I had to crowd out of my mind. If I had completed it, I should have had to say, design presupposes God. I did not then know that at that moment the finger of God was first laid upon my forehead. I'm going to watch my little girl eat porridge to spite the devil. Look at the beauty of her ear. I saw this years ago. I felt this way all week. Haven't we had a wonderful last few days? You know, Ziggy. Is Ziggy still, is Ziggy still a comic strip? It, it is, is it? I don't, okay. It is? Yes? Okay. It used to become, or it is, whatever, but, but Ziggy's standing, of course, on, on a cliff looking at a sunrise or sunset saying, go God. Some versions has, go God, do it again. I'm going to look at the beauty of a rose to spite the devil. We had a wonderful worship service here Wednesday night. And uh, we sang, fairest Lord Jesus. Oh, man. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nations, son of God and son of man. And it says, fair are the meadows, fair still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fair, Jesus is brighter, who makes the woeful heart to sing. What a great hymn. If I, if I want to have God's restorative work in my life, I will glory in creation in the name of Jesus. I will glory in a walk on the shore to spite the devil because I'm going to say Jesus made this. It is made through him, for him. He's before it and in him it holds together. I'm going to rejoice in the laughter of friends because it spites the devil. Fourthly, if I want to experience God's restoration, I will be involved with God's people in the body of Christ. Listen to this. He says, in the middle of this, this hymn of glory and the creating power of God, he says, and, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning. And the firstborn from the dead, the trailblazer, that in everything he might be preeminent. I thought, you know, it's just interesting that right in the middle of the celebration of the creative God who his name is Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who qualifies us to be his children. Right in the middle, he says, and he, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. And the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he may have preeminence. And I thought, if, if I'm going to experience God's restorative power, I must be involved with God's people in the body of Christ, and I must continually glory in the greatness of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what, that's what I got from the text. I've got to be someone who, who, who loves, loves the people of God. In Colossians, he goes on, he says, in Colossians chapter, chapter 3, he says, um, verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And he says, here, he says, don't lie to one another. You belong to each other. He says, here, in this place, verse 11, 
there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. All are in Christ, and Christ is in all. There's no economic, ethnic, socioeconomic, educational, geographical, zip code distinction. We're in Jesus. We belong to Christ. Glory in the body of Christ. And he says, as that happens, he says, verse 15, he says, as as this mindset happens, he says, you put on love, and then you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and then you let the word of God dwell in you richly. Listen, the peace of Christ and the word of God will not dwell richly in your hearts if you have broken relationships, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you haven't put on love. See, that's why Paul says, in the middle of all of this, God made us relational people. In the middle of this great description of Christ, the creator, God of the universe, who died on the cross for our sins, he says, and he's the head of his body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Wow. I read something a couple weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to become a fan of Nebraska Cornhusker football if this keeps up. Nebraska, like all colleges, they had their spring game recently, and the blue and the white game, and uh, the score was basically tied, and there's just a few seconds left, and all of a sudden, off the sidelines, kind of trotted on a seven-year-old boy with a made, specially made Nebraska football helmet, been struggling with a brain tumor cancer for two years, but he loved the Cornhuskers. And so the quarterback, Taylor Martinez, took the snap and handed it to the kid, and the kid started zigzagging, and miraculously the defensive line parted. And the linebackers jumped for him, but they missed him because of his shifty moves. The defensive backs tried to get him, but couldn't. The free safety couldn't catch up to him, and he ran 69 yards for a touchdown game ended. They picked him up and carried him off the field. Wow. Go Huskers. I read that. As soon as I read that, I thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where, where, where the scripture says that, that in the body of Christ those members that are considered to be by the world not very necessary are given special honor. And I thought, isn't it great to be in the body of Christ? where it's all about the Lord Christ and it's not about positions and titles. Where you look at people who are hurting and suffering or physically challenged, whatever, mentally, and and we say, we need to give them special honor. And, And that's who we are. We're the community of Jesus. And so we work hard to have good relationships. We work hard to say at times, I was wrong, do you forgive me? Because we know that if we're going to have God's restorative power in our lives, we have to be rightly, joyfully united with other people who call themselves Jesus followers because the Bible says that Christ is the head of his body. 
And fifthly, if we're going to have the restorative power of God in our lives, we've got to continually say to one another, fig leaves won't do. That's what God said in the garden. Fig leaves won't do. Listen to verse 20. And, and, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. We, we say to each other, we say to ourselves, you know, this is, this is okay. And we applaud that, but that doesn't make you right with God. Only the cross makes you right with God. Fig leaves will not do. Whether it's a thick leaf of, of pride in your ethnicity or fig, the fig leaf of saying, I work at a free clinic two nights a week or the fig leaf of saying, I've been a faithful man. Fig leaves won't do. It's only the work of Christ. Recently, Oprah Winfrey said this, who's, who's done enormous good. She says, I, I, I think... God doesn't get hung up on the titles. It's the people that get hung up on the titles. I disagree. God is very jealous for his name. The first commandment is pretty strong. No other gods. And God has defined himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was reading Matthew 12 recently, and Jesus says, you know, the temple's wonderful, and we Jews glory in the temple because the temple represents the tangible presence of God. But I tell you that someone greater than the temple is here. Later in John 12, he says, you know, you, you, you glory in the prophet Jonah, and he was a good spokesman for God. But I tell you, someone greater than Jonah is here, Jesus. And so we continually say, it's not, it's not that, that, that's good, but it's a fig, if you're, if you're going to use that to be right with God, it's, it's the fig leaf, it's only the cross. If I'm going to be restored, continued by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've got to glory in the cross. I've got to use the name Jesus. Man, you go to Mother's Day lunch today and you pray, don't pray to the great God who may be out there. You pray to the living God whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you end your prayer in the name of Jesus, I pray, Amen. I still think, and I know this was popular when I was younger, but I still think the greatest question to ask people, you know, is just, if you were to die today and stand before a holy God and he would say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That is a great question. And people say, well, you know, I've, I've tried hard. That's a fig leaf. Good for you. I, I've been a virtuous man. Someone told me that recently. I, That's good. It's a fig leaf. I'm a graduate of this institution, good fig leaf. Really, the answer is the work of Christ. It's only the work of Christ. Christ did on the cross for me what I could never do for myself. He bore my sins in his body on the cross. Everything else is a fig leaf. Everything else. So I, just, I, I want God's restorative power in your lives, my life, in your homes, in your relationships. And it comes as we glory in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day and thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we open it and know that you have spoken. Um, thank you that revelation is complete. Thank you that you, Lord Christ, are the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. 
So Lord, don't let us be guilty of building our lives on the fig leaves of self-affirmation or hard work or family heritage as a means of approaching you, but only through the work of Christ. I pray we would glory in you and be glad in you and worship you. And Lord, as we do that, I pray you would continually change us and restore the wonder and the goodness of Eden in our lives because of the cross. Thank you that in the Garden of Eden, Lord, you said fig leaves will not do, and you made an animal skin covering that was fulfilled in Jesus. So we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.